podcast presented by the hockey podcast network every team everywhere hello 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 everybody welcome back to another episode of the oil country podcast presented by the hockey podcast network every team everywhere from typically edmonton alberta and montreal quebec we are john and kyle but I am currently in Las Vegas getting pretty drunk, gambling, and watching the Oilers. Hopefully win on Wednesday. And at this time, I'm going to be, well, a day out from watching the Ducks and a day in from watching the Oilers shit stomp the Kings. So, You mentioning the Ducks there, Kyle? They've, they've given us a lot of help as of late in the standings. Are we like, I'm not saying we're fans of the Ducks, but are we like cool with them yet? Are we getting there? Uh... Because they're so bad, I I almost don't feel the need to like really really hate them. If they get good again, I'll hate them. Well, here's the thing: like I hated Pacific players, right? I hated when Pronger went there. I hated Kessler. I hated Getzlaff. I don't know. Perry. I yeah, Perry. Yeah, sorry, I can't believe I didn't mention him. But <laughs> I mean, there's there's a couple players on their team that I actually don't mind. But it's still going to take a couple years for me to warm up to that team. I know your roommate has their old school logo and is absolutely in love with it and flaunts around Edmonton. I can't believe he hasn't been stabbed yet, but <laughs> my roommate's also a fucking idiot. So yeah, I, I, I know he doesn't listen. So I'm going to bash the shit out of him here. He's <laughs> stupid and doesn't know hockey. <laughs> but anyways, guys, we do have a very special treat coming up in literally like a minute. But before that, we did just want to take the time to mention we are going to be at Alley Cat this Saturday in the afternoon. We're shooting for about four o'clock on Saturday. We're going to be recording for about 20 minutes and having some beers before we go to the game against the Jets. And stay tuned for this badass interview coming up right away. Okay, everyone, we have a very special guest with us today from St. John's, Newfoundland to Hollywood, California. We are extremely excited to have award-winning actor and filmmaker Mark O'Brien on the show with us today. Mark plays the lead role of Terry Sawchuk in the new movie Goalie, which is a biopic of the legendary NHL goaltender. Mark stars in the film alongside his wife, Georgina, who plays Terry's wife, Pat. Mark also starred in the hit Canadian TV show Republic of Doyle, where he met Georgina. His other work includes Hollywood blockbusters such as Arrival, Bad Times at the El Royale, Marriage Story, as well as starring in 2019 horror comedy, Ready or Not. Mark, thank you very much for joining us today. Did I get any of that wrong, by the way? No, you did not. And I also love that you pronounced Newfoundland correctly. Uh, that's, that sounds so good to hear. <laughs> How do people we normally... Newfoundland, we get Newfoundland. Newfoundland and Newfoundland, and, and I can't blame them because it is a—it's not how you think it'd be pronounced, but it's really refreshing when I hear it pronounced correctly. So uh, thank you. <laughs> it's kind of an oddly spelled word, but I am born and raised in Alberta here, so we do have a lot of people from Newfoundland. So oh yeah, Fort maybe that's—I'll the, give all. the credit there. But yeah, um, how are you doing today? Before we get into things, I'm doing good. I, I'm doing great. I'm in New York right now, and uh, you know, I'm right now I'm chilling with my two-year-old. Uh, daughter while my wife's away working. So uh, it's been an eventful day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like they all are. Yeah, yeah we'll try and uh, not keep you for too, too long. God, obviously more important things. I'm sorry, that sounds bad, but you no, know what no, I mean? No, obviously no, family commitments and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we were talking before and you mentioned that um, before we started recording that you are an avid Habs fan as well. So I'm just curious, 
What was your experience like with hockey growing up in Newfoundland through what would have been the 1990s? Well, uh, hockey in Newfoundland, I think it's like hockey in most places in Canada. It's, it's like a birthright. Like you just, that's just what you do. Um, I didn't even, I started playing hockey when I was seven and I didn't even really want to. My dad just put me in it and I hated it at first because, you know, people forget like hockey is, I think the hardest major sport, at least to learn how to play. It's so frustrating at first. Um, it's like learning to play guitar. It's like, God, it takes so long to just like learn how to skate forward. (laughs) Um, so, uh, but then after like a year or two, I got really into it and, and my dad is a huge Habs fan and, and I started watching a lot of hockey and, and then it just became like, you know, it's my favorite thing to do. So I still play to this day. I play rec like two or three times a week, uh, in LA and, um, and I love it. It's so, it's so, you know, Sawtrek was a great fit for that. How did you go about switching from playing hockey in Newfoundland to getting into film and, and further out, like getting this role in particular? Uh, it's kind of random. I mean, I, um, I always just wanted to be a hockey player. That's all I wanted to do. But it's funny, like you realize in retrospect, like, I guess I didn't want to that much cause I would have just worked harder cause I, I was a good player. And if I really like put my head down and did it, I don't you know, think I would have made the NHL, but I could have been pretty good, you know? And so I guess, I guess was my heart wasn't in as much as I thought it was. And then I just started watching movies. To be honest, I saw the movie fight club and I remember it just changed my life. I was 15 and, and me and my buddies then just started making movies on our own with like parents' video cameras. And, and then that's just what we did. And, you know, in, in high school, like everyone would be off at a party and we would be like making movies on our own, editing with two VCRs. And then we'd bring them to school and we'd show them at lunch and stuff like that. And I mean, they were stupid, but they were meant to be. Like we loved slapstick <laughs> comedy. They were like, you know, they were like the naked gun right. movies kind of thing. So we love that, and 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 that's what we do. And everyone would come, and then we we when we go to parties, we bring the movies, and everyone would watch. And it kind of became this big thing that we just did. And uh, and then I started doing improv in high school, and uh, and it's funny. I have three older sisters who are always interested in singing and 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 a bit of acting here and there, and I hated it. And then I think it was just movies that just made me like I I just loved watching like Edward Norton and. Uh, and like Denzel Washington. And when I started recognizing what performance actually was, and you know what, it's a funny thing. It's not that dissimilar from hockey in a way you're out on a stage performing for a a bunch of people and the best players in the world are the most creative players. So there's a lot of creativity to hockey too. Like I think people look at it as like athletes, not to say that they're like grunts or anything like that, but it's, it's not creative. It's so creative. I mean, look what like, you know, Nicholas Backstrom can do. Look what Datsuk could do. Like, it's crazy. So I, I do think there's a bit of a link there, actually. That like switch in your brain kind of flipped. You mentioning that, <clears throat> excuse me, that your sisters were very interested in it early on and you had no interest. But then you see the movie that you relate to and get that passion for and then get into it slowly and really have that passion for that area. And it kind of just takes off and has developed into a career. That is really interesting how that works. Yeah, it's weird. And I think it's because when you grow up in a house, I, I'm not really from an artistic family. Like I said, my sisters were kind of interested, but it wasn't like my, one of my sisters is a, is a really great singer songwriter. So she was always interested, but it was more in singing. And I, I can't sing a note. And my other sisters like dabbled, but my parents really weren't in the arts and, and I wasn't surrounded by people in the arts. So I, I, I've thought about this and it's like, I guess I didn't really see the movies that would 
like, you know, tickle my fancy kind of thing. It's kind of like how you get into the music. The music you start listening to when you're 15 is kind of the music you probably listen to when you're 50. You know what I mean? It's like, right. that's the thing yeah. I got into. That's when I fell in love with it. And when you're younger, you're not allowed to see those movies. So Fight Club is a great example because I was 15, just old enough to go see. They used to call them rated uh, AA then, adult accompaniment. Okay. But it meant only adult accompaniment if you were like 14 or under. I can't remember what it was. It's you had to be 18. You can, you can sneak in like even with an adult. You had to be 18 no matter what, right? I know. That was for R. That was for R. With AA, I think it was 14 you needed uh, adult accompaniment. But they were probably okay. pretty lax on that. They were always kind of like, yeah, whatever. There's a yeah. bunch of 14-year-olds working there anyways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They were like, come in, bro. Like, everyone has pimples. Um, <laughs> but I think it was I think it was just like, you know, I finally got to see a movie that like was something I was interested in that I didn't even know I was interested in yet, just due to my age. Um, so, yeah, it is very interesting how that happened. It's kind of it's weird. And I remember for like eight years into acting... Like, I remember, like, when I started, like, working more and stuff, like, my sisters and friends were like, so Mark's, like, an actor? Like, what when the hell did that happen? Like, who, who yeah. was that? <laughs> Never would have guessed that in a million years up until that point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I was going to move into the, like, the movie Goalie itself uh, and, and then acting for you, right? Terry himself is a very polarizing person, both off and on the ice, right? In the locker room, his personal life. Uh what kind of preparation goes into a role like that, both for you physically and mentally? Did you talk to any former goalies, uh, anybody in the NHL in particular or junior? Or? I did. Yeah, yeah, I did, actually. I um, I talked to several people and uh, and I talked to some former goalies not in the NHL. And I, I talked to a lot of people, everyone I could kind of could that the producers could hook me up with. And I actually I've also known some ex-NHLers and stuff like, you know, Terry Ryan, who was drafted by the Habs back in 95. He's a really good buddy of mine. So there's a, and there's a couple other guys like Teddy Purcell used to play for, he played with Edmonton actually for a while. He did. The guy yeah. I know, like there are people I've met throughout the years through being an actor and being sort of uh, on the fringe of being in the hockey community from acting. So there's a bit of a vibe I have, but, but Terry's a whole other thing. Like he's so, he was so introverted and, and it was a time when it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't hip for an athlete, probably particularly a male athlete to talk about their feelings and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think like, you know, he was really traumatized from his upbringing and, and from his brother's death, especially that I think it was just something that was bottled up and it made him kind of this like twisted bottle cap that, that just couldn't really release and didn't really know why I think he felt the way he did, which makes it hard to perform that. You know, I played very extroverted characters that, it, you know, it, it can be, um, it, you know, there's no inhibitions there. It can be tough in that way, but it's also fun because the emotions are right on the, right there or even people who it's restrained you you know what they're holding back whereas terry was wasn't never really certain what he was holding back right and i always found that i found that really interesting that's what drew me to it it actually kind of freaked me out it was a bit of a challenge i'm just gonna say personally i thought you did a great job of reflecting that on camera like you you played at least in my opinion like a very happy as well as sad and then questioning terry like all throughout the movie um i, I thought you did a great job just just personally sorry to, to oh thanks man you, i appreciate that I, I really do it's it, it definitely it's it's a weird it's a it's a weird kind of challenge in that way but but the big thing that that kind of i think helped a lot was when you realize like there's one thing like i was saying it's kind of hard to find something tangible there but when you realize that at that time there was no backup goalies and there was only six teams 
But I mean, they weren't paid really anything and there was no union. So on top of all that, but there were six goalies. That's all, that's all the minutes. There's no KHL. There was no, you know what I mean? There was no, there was no Austrian league you could go play in. Like there was no other option. So the pressure of that alone, I think is so uh, tangible. That's something you understand where you're like, Whoa, these guys, like, you know, I, I'm still so impressed. I mean, I, I always grew up knowing Terry Sawchuk to be the greatest goalie who ever lived. Mm-hmm. But I always think about Glenn Hall's 509 or 510 consecutive games played. I think it's the craziest record in sports history. Like, as a goalie to play over 500 straight games. <laughs> it's just like it's and then you compare it to the modern NHL, oh. where not only do you have backups... And you're not playing as many consecutive games, even in this, like close to that, you're getting at least 10, 20 games off a year. But it's also interesting with you mentioning that six teams, no backup goalies, where if your play slips a little bit or they're starting to question you, whether that was in Detroit with Terry or, or anyone else, it's not just like, oh, you lost this opportunity, something else will come along. Yeah, Unless you're one it. of those superstars, that could be the end of your career. And your career is getting paycheck to paycheck as well, too, right? Like, they were not yeah, glorified in any way. Yeah, these guys have jobs in the offseason and stuff. And, like, you look at, like, I'm a, I'm a Canadian fan, and, and, you know, Carey Price is a, is a great goalie, but he's wildly inconsistent at times in the last few years. But it's still his. But his he's known still as one of the greatest goalies in the world. So it's like it doesn't matter. Like he'll still always play. But back then there was like it was you. They could, you could get turned on so quick, which happened to Harry Lumley before Sawchuk, and then happened to Sawchuk before Glenn Hall. So it's like just like that. All of a sudden it's like sorry, you're out. We got another guy. Whereas nowadays yeah. I think because they're backup goalies, and now like even in the '90s, like people would play seventy games. Like Broder played seventy games every season. Now, like one guy might every year play 70 games. Right. So it's like, so even if you falter, you know what I mean? You, you'll take a backup role for a little while and then figure your game out and then you kind of come back again. I mean, it happens all the time. Look at like Varlamov and like some of these guys who struggle for like a little beat and then they just come back again. Whereas back then it's like you struggle for 20 games. Sorry, you're out. Yeah. And even then, if you struggle now enough to get knocked out of the NHL, most of those guys are going to Europe and still, you know, not making the millions of dollars, but they're still making a living for themselves and their families. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, and you know, you have a union and everything. So it's, right. It's just kind of crazy when I was actually like learning about it because you think, you know, and, and stuff like that. But then when you really get into it, you're like, my God, this is just crazy, this pressure. And, and also just on a physical level, the equipment. Like I, I wore a lot of the old equipment. I wore the old pads. They get waterlogged. In, in they're heavy, minutes. right? By the end of the third, yeah. Oh, man, they're so heavy. Like they get so heavy. Um, like uh, now we were shooting like ten hours. These guys didn't wear them that long, but I'll tell you, after an hour, they're pretty waterlogged. And so right. that's like you know halfway through a game, not even, and you're like, you're already exhausted. Yeah, you hear even modern goalies, right? Hearing about the amount of weight they lose through a game. I can't oh, yeah. imagine that weight oh, you're losing. Yeah, oh my God. Like they don't have moisture wicking. That weight you're losing is still with you on your limbs. Yeah, like that's absolutely no, insane. And the advancements in, in sports technology, sports medicinal technology back then is like nothing. Right. Like it was like the guys would be like guys smoking. are smoking cigarettes on the bench. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah, were, exactly. yeah. Like it was crazy. Like it was I don't know if this is true because you guys are Oilers guys. Is it true that um Gretzky used to drink like 
pop, like just drink Coca-Cola or something and like in between periods. I heard that before. Do you know if that's true? Well, I mean, true? didn't Ovechkin or Chara do that too? I think, and I know like, yeah, Ovechkin was on the bench with a Coca-Cola. That would have been probably <laughs> 10 years yeah. ago maybe, but it's absolutely nuts. I do remember hearing that about Gretzky as well. I'm not sure if that was more of just like a rumor, if it's actually confirmed or not, to be completely honest. But yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I guess those guys are burning that off. But still. there's a couple yeah, funny things. True. Remember another player, I forget who was like eating packs of mustard on the bench. Spin Chicklets was talking about it. I can't remember the player though, but that's hilarious as well. Yeah. Just getting that nutrients yeah. one way. Just farting his way up the ice the whole way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, much. maybe that was the goal. Just go faster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mark, you mentioned the the obviously the tragic passing with Terry's brother. I think believe his brother was 17 when he had a heart attack and died there. Yeah. Um, like you know, Terry obviously tried to emulate his brother and follow in his footsteps, but the movie kind of depicts that he was obviously interested in goaltending before that. Do you think him going, you know, after that, after his brother's death and pursuing that career, was he looking for you know, some acceptance and some peace in this world after that tragic incident? Or was think, it more just something that like, that's all he knew and he just went with it? No, I think it was totally uh, the former of what you just said, 100%. Now, that's not something that he, he it's as far as I know, like I got to know his son, Jerry, pretty well, Jerry Sanchuk. Okay. Who still lives in Michigan and he, he's a great guy. And, uh, and like, he'll, he'll say that like, no one ever knew, like he would never say something like that. But I think that's what drove right. him. It just, from everything I learned and read, it was like, I think that just drove him completely to do what he did, which is also what makes it interesting. It's like, here's a guy who maybe would have taken another path if if his brother, you know, had died younger or he never had a brother or whatever. He might have, you know, worked at a mill, who knows? And so he does this thing that maybe, once again, I don't want to assume completely, but maybe he's only doing to kind of continue on what his brother did and to live up to that in some sort of way and live up to his parents and stuff like that. And then he doesn't even love it. Maybe I'm once again, to bring presumptuous and, but then is great at it. So it's like this total conundrum of like, I love this thing as much as I hate it. Um, and I think, I think that there is a bit of that. There's a little bit of, there was a love hate thing where it's like it frustrated him as much as it made him happy because it's no one's going to get 82 shutouts every year. So I think some of these goalies who are really passionate, like remember Hextall and stuff like that, like these guys who get so mad letting in a goal. And I like, I relate to that as an actor. I mean, I get rejected every other day. You just do in one way or another and it gets frustrating. And then, you know, my wife will say to me, she's like, you know, you gotta calm down. You can't, you can't win them all. And I'm like, but I want to. <laughs> yeah, you just want to be so, perfect. Right, that yeah. competitive nature. Yeah. yeah, it's a competitive thing. You're like, yeah, I don't like losing. And, you know, we were talking before we came on here, I was talking about the Habs and their season and stuff. And, and, and these guys are giving it every night. My God, they're working so hard and they're not going to make it. Right. But it's just the competitive nature. And, and, and another small thing about that, I once played with the, the Habs alumni. I played a game with them and it was great. It was like Riche was there and... Steve Shutt and uh, yeah, Chris Nyland. And they were like, we were on the bench. And I was just like, you know, I can't believe I'm even sitting here with these guys. <laughs> and there is, it, when it got down to like a minute left in the period, they're like, all right, boys, get over the line, dump it in, minute left, minute left, over the line, dump it in. I'm like, what? Like, you guys, like, they were like, they, and this was a charity game. Right. But they're still like thinking with that mentality of like, you know, we still don't want to mess up here. Like, let's play proper. Fairly loose, I imagine, early on. 
but once they have that opportunity to win, they're not messing around with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's still like a minute left. That's how we play. I'm like, Oh, this is crazy. It's, <laughs> it's that nature, you know? I guess just moving kind of in turn with we were talking about today's NHL, uh, the story of Terry, it revolves a lot around how he sacrificed himself and in turn others, the mental and physical challenges of goaltending and the way he dealt with his self-worth issues. How much of his story do you believe still goes on in today's game? And is there a step to make it better? That's a that's a great question that no one's asked me yet. Uh, I think it happens all the time. I mean, remember Marc-Andre Fleury dealt with a bit of that. Um, I don't know if you guys remember that a few years ago, like maybe like six years ago or something. I think like, you know, there was a lot of talk. You'd see a sports psychologist and stuff. And that's just what I heard. I'm not saying that this is hundred percent true. As well but, as Robin Leonard, I believe is another one that's been Robin Leonard, yeah, he had different problems. mental health issues. And he said he never played a game sober or something up until, and look at his, his since then he's been like incredible. Um, right. So I, I think it's, look, I played, I never played professionally, but I played my whole life. And I was, I'm a forward and you know what it's like on a bench when the goalie lets in a soft one, everyone is pissed off and the goalie knows that. Right. And so you're out there, you have no one to talk to about it. You have no one to even like, you know, just small talk with on the bench and you know that your whole team is, is kind of judging you. And when it's up, I remember my dad asked me when I was younger, cause I used to play street hockey a lot as a goalie. And he was like, do you ever want to play in net? And I said, I was like, no. Because if it's, if we're down two nothing, there's nothing I can do about it. Right. Like I can't win us the game. And I remember that was the reason why I didn't want to be a goalie. So that's that sort of psyche that those guys go through, I, I think is is tough. And I think you see it a lot. And I, I don't know what the answer is. I think a lot of the answers to, to these issues, like I'm not a doctor, so I'm just saying like hands on person to person is is just communication. I think if it's like yeah, like I, I, I actually, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I just know that like every time I'm kind of uh, you know feeling a bit off about someone or something, I just always get in communication with them, and it always kind of makes it a bit better. Um, but outside of that, I mean, I don't have an answer. I guess that is kind of person to person, but it does yeah. make sense. And I think when you look at these goaltenders, like you mentioned, Mark Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard, them opening up and making that a little bit more public maybe kind of trailblazing some of that for future goaltenders too, where it might not solve it, but at least you're kind of showing that more intimate and personal side of saying like, look, that's not just you going through this, this, these issues, because like you mentioned, that is an immense amount of pressure. It almost reminds me of like the kicker in football where you're either like you're, you're nothing until you have the chance to win the game. And then it's either all your fault or you get the glory and it's almost more so with goaltending because kickers are only on the field for like less than a percent of the game where yeah, goalies are exactly. always out there. They can mess up at any, any point in time, really. And like as a forward, I, I like, I screw up when I play, like I'm talking shinny hockey here, but still I screw up, I don't know, 25 times a game. If a goalie screws up three yeah. times, it's like, get him out of there. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's brutal. It's ruthless. And, and I think, and like we were saying back then, like, no mask and all this stuff. It's just, it's just so um, magnified completely. And also like, you know, Terry's around the time too, like when he started in 50, 51 and stuff, that was, it was really around that time just before that, when they were playing that many games, like, you don't even want to go, he was playing right. that many games and they were playing 70 games a year. Cause I think in the, in the forties, what was it? Was it 62 or something like that? Like it was less like, uh, I just looked up to clarify 1940, 1941 was 48 games. Yeah, there you go. Like that's 10 years before they played like, you know, that's 22 less games. 
so it was also like the wear and tear no one really had experienced yet. Right. Um, and sports medicine. Yeah, yeah. That's why with him, it's so... He was like the first guy and his first five seasons were off the charts. Um, right. So that's why I think it was magnified with him so much too. Just the physical beating he took too oh, is God. absolutely insane. I mean, I know there's that that famous picture that was edited uh, more yeah. recently, like not super recently, but within the last 20, 30 years of all of his facial injuries and they could barely fit it all on, like 400 stitches. Just yeah. craziness what he that guy 14, went through. 14 scars on his face, I think it was. And uh, we had to do, in the movie, there were four different stages of scarring. So we knew we picked certain times in the movie when he got that scar and we tried to date it pretty much of when they would happen. So it was crazy because we had to put the scars on for you know, the stage four scarring. Then we go back to stage two scarring for a scene and then stage three and then stage one. Right. So it was really like, it was really intense. And you're like, man, I can't believe this guy went around like this every day. His son told me that one time he saw his dad going into the shower and he was like, his entire upper body was black. He was like, I remember it. Just it was just bruised everywhere. Bruised. It was like his entire body almost. Sorry, I have one question for you. I have a close friend that works in the Vancouver film industry and she works in makeup. How long does that typically take? Like, were you in the makeup trailer, makeup office, getting that done? Like for, like, how long does that take, I guess? It always gets quicker as it goes on. Uh, when it starts, you're, you're kind of finding it. So you're figuring it out. I guess the first time we did it, it was probably like two hours, two or three hours really good makeup artist named Randy Dodlin who did it. But then it got, it got quicker because you're kind of more, um, you streamlined, you've kind of figured it out a bit more. And, uh, right. But it, the hardest was as an actor, your breaks during the day are in between shots and in between scenes and stuff. But for me, it was like in between scenes, we just had to go back to makeup mm-hmm. and then I had to, you know what I mean? And then take off the pads and put the pads back on. So it just gave me like no break throughout the day. That was, that was kind of the, the, I found the hard part. Right, just go, go, go pretty much the whole 10 hours like you mentioned. Sorry, Kyle, go ahead. I still find it yeah. so insane how long it took for just sports in, in general just to advance just protective wear, especially for goaltenders, right? Like you would have think that, sorry, you would think that somebody would wear a mask before when they actually started to, right? Like the abuse that they went through, and I guess a lot of it has to do with the machoism that was kind of in, in hockey at that time, right? And just fighting through it. But uh, but that somebody would put themselves through that abuse and and watch their friend go through that abuse as well as a teammate, right? It, it, it's just insane from this point in time to look back on that. I thought of, I thought about that so much through being a hockey fan for years. I was like, why is Jacques Plante known as this pioneer? I mean, he did he did what was common sense. Yeah. Why didn't anyone just do that before? But but then I did find that out. It was like no, it was a macho kind of thing and. Also, your sight lines, like I, in the movie, I have the mask on at some point and I don't. It's it's kind of hard to The mask is a bit of a, 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 like an interruption of your visuals of the game. So there is that. It actually is a bit annoying. Yeah. And it was so tight to the face. It was, it's kind of frustrating to wear. Right. But at the same time, it was mostly the machoism thing. It was just like, and Jacques Plante, I think, was fine. Like, this is crazy. Like, this is nuts. Like, yeah, you guys are insane. <laughs> getting, yeah. getting so it, you're yeah. a pioneer in a different way. You're like, oh, the guy just was like, I don't care what people say about me. And that's the thing. It's weird to think that that guy probably got criticized for that, where it's like, oh, you're yeah. not tough enough to be a goalie. I'm sure a lot of people were saying that about him at the time. Oh, I bet. Oh, my God. Yeah. And in a way, like, you know, as an athlete, like, I, you know, I was very athletic growing up in a lot of different ways. And, and in a way, that's almost mm-hmm. worse. Than, than being a pioneer and in, in coming up with something and everyone being like, oh, they're trying something new. It's almost worse being like they're trying something new and they're not being a man about mm-hmm. it. Right. That's like a hard thing to face, especially in like the 50s and 60s. It's like, 
I mean, I didn't live in that time, but I, what I can imagine. So it kind of takes even more guts in a, in a different way. Because everyone else is so stubborn and kind of tuck in their, or stuck in their ways of that machoism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I did want to ask as well there, um, there, Mark. So in the film, it's obviously depicted and, and anyone that's uh, looked into Terry's history is that he obviously struggled with, you know, abuse slash alcoholism. And that had obviously a very negative impact on his family. So during those scenes, like I mentioned before, um, your wife, Georgina, plays the opposite role, Terry's wife in those. Did you find that easier and more comfortable with her playing that opposite role? Or was it almost more of a challenge as well? Uh, to be honest, it was easier because we know each other so well and we're also both actors. So we've auditioned for each other doing a thousand different characters and we've screamed and yelled at each other in an audition and our neighbors probably think we're crazy like, <laughs> so many times. And our neighbors probably think we're crazy and they're wondering why we keep repeating it. They're like, you the same argument six times in a row. Uh, that's so weird. Uh, word for word. Um, so, you know, we, we're just so used to seeing each other in different ways. And I've seen all of her work. She's seen all of my work. So we're really able. I'm not one of those actors and she isn't either to, to kind of like take it home or get stuck in it. We're just like... Cool. Like I've had to do some pretty messed up things in my career on, on camera. And you just, it's, if it serves a story, then it doesn't bother me. If it's gratuitous and not necessary, I just don't like it. But, um, but if it serves a story, then, you know, we, we, I felt it found very comfortable with her and she's a great actress. So that's, to be honest, most actors, that's the big thing. It's who am I acting with? Right. Cause you're like, I don't want to act with someone who, who can't keep up because it happens sometimes and then it's just no fun. Uh, so when they asked Regina to do it too, which was the same time they asked me to do it, I was like, please do it. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I know that you're really good and we'll have fun and all that kind of stuff too. But we had gotten informed from our network that, that you guys are obviously married in, in real life as well. And, you know, maybe I was looking for that, but you can't tell the chemistry on scene and it did fit the movie, like you said, right? It, it does, you know, there was no negative impact for sure. And I think it had a positive impact having you guys have that, you know, background chemistry as well as comfortability with each other. Yeah. And that's the thing. And, and, and I appreciate that. And, and also we're, we're really like, you know, um, open with each other about everything and, and, you know, we have a really healthy relationship. So that helps too. There's no like skeletons in the closet kind of thing where you're like, is this going to expose something about me? <laughs> right. It was like, it was smooth sailing. It was like, great. You know, and we had a four month old at the time. So, Georgina was breastfeeding in between takes. It was so, it was more of like, that was almost the biggest concern sometimes. Like, cool. Okay, great. This is what we're going to do. And that's okay, cool. All right, great. So how long is it going to take? Cause we got to get back to the trailer. Cause you know, she's right. <laughs> that's a huge level of commitment there for sure. Oh, it was nuts. It was a crazy time. Uh, and we had to bring our cat with us too. And it was really <laughs> intense. And the last two weeks of filming, which was all the on ice, uh, all the on ice stuff, Georgina had already wrapped. She was finished. And uh, so it was just me and I got actually really ill. Oh, really? So I had a fever for like uh, about a week of filming all the on, uh, stuff on ice. And uh, so they weren't having to miss you with the fake sweat. That was just real sweat. Hey, yeah, that was just me not knowing where I am. That was me fever dreaming. On, yeah. On, on set. yeah. I, we will let you, uh, you get back to, um, the, uh, the family commitments there, but obviously before we let you go, we do want to know for our listeners when and where can they watch this film? So, uh, it's coming out on digital and Blu-ray and DVD and all that in, uh, in the States on February 25th. 
And okay. in Canada right now, you can watch on CBC Gem. That's their app, their streaming app, or on iTunes. And uh, I imagine Netflix in the future. I'm not sure the date on that, but uh, but it's available. Yeah, in the states and Canada, both as of uh, like four days from now. Okay, perfect. And this episode will actually drop uh, Monday, so it'll be the day before. So good timing there. Oh, that's right. Um, but yeah, no, thank you very much for for coming on. We do really appreciate it, Mark. Is there anything else going on that you'd like to promote or tell people about or anything like that? Uh, I'm actually really excited. I, I wrote and directed and started my first feature film that I'm in post on right now. Um, it's called The Righteous, and uh, I'm really excited about it. So for anyone listening, like I hope you get to check it out when we're done. Um, it's uh, it's something I was working on for a long time. And uh, no, it's great talking to you guys. And, and, and hey, man, anytime you guys want a, a guest to come on and talk Habs or Oilers, I'd love to. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's mutual for sure. Love to have you again. Wicked. Thanks, guys. As we wrap up this episode, I did just want to take another chance to thank Mark O'Brien very much for coming on. We really appreciated it and really enjoyed chatting with him for that uh, 30 or 40 minutes there. We were running a little bit low on our application time with the uh, with the recording with him, but so Colin and I didn't quite get a chance to talk about it, but I did just want to say we were uh, very grateful to get the chance to watch the movie before the release as well, before we interviewed him. And Kyle and I both really, really enjoyed it. Strongly, strongly recommend anybody listening, anyone that has an interest in hockey history or just kind of getting a different perspective on what it was like back then to watch it. I definitely learned a lot and we had already, you know, kind of looked into Terry Sawcheck a little bit before this interview. So I found it very entertaining for one and educational as well. It gave me a much more you know, different perspective on what the goalies went through at that point. It does drop on Tuesday following this episode's release. So tomorrow for you guys listening on the release day, check it out on the CBC On Demand as well as iTunes. <laughs>